Good morning. You know, we are a lot less in number. I don't know for sure, but I would guess that's because people are afraid of the virus, which to some degree I understand there's concern there, but I think probably it's a little bit of an overreaction by most. But um, hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Glad you're here with us. My name's Scott. If you're here with us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Most of you I recognize, and I'm just thrilled to be here with you. I don't often read the Bible from uh, the paraphrase versions. There are a whole lot of translations of Scripture, but sometimes I'll read the Message Bible, which is a paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson, and I love the way he, he uh, paraphrased 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. I want to begin with that. He said this, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I am bankrupt without love. That's a good way to say that. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Because life is all about love. Because love is the most important lesson He wants us, the Lord wants us to learn how to live out on this earth. That's why our mission is what you see on the walls. Look to your left or right. Either way, our mission as a church is all about loving God, loving people, and changing lives, or letting God change lives through us based on this tangible thing, this action word called love. And that's what I want us to look at today. A lot of times people think that's overdone, overtalked about, I already understand everything about that. Well, be careful to assume that. I think there are things we can all learn in this context. You know, doctrine and theology is important. Don't misunderstand me when I go down the road that I want to go down today. Doctrine and what we believe theologically is very important, but Jesus did say that our love for each other, it's not our doctrine, not our core beliefs, even in those ways, it is our love for each other that is our ultimate witness to a dying world. Look at how he said it in John 13. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how the world is going to know that we are his disciples not by what we believe in other contexts. In fact, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is, that's a hard question to think about it. Jesus, what's the, hardest, or what's the most important thing in all the Bible? How did he respond? It's based on what we have, or it is what we base our words on the, sli- on the side of the wall on. He said in John 13, 34, 35, he also said in Matthew 22, 37, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, he said, you didn't ask for two, but I'll give you two. The second is like it, and that is we need to love our neighbor as ourself. And then listen to what he said. He said, all the law and the prophets, everything hangs on these two. You get these two things right and everything else will come together naturally. Learning to love unselfishly is what God wants us to be all about, loving Him and loving others. And yet it is not natural. Does anybody just say, you know, it's just like my nature. It's just who I am to just unselfishly, uh, completely, uh, in a generous and giving, self-sacrificing way. That's just who I am. I just love. It's just natural for me. Some people are probably more prone that way than others, but I think all of us tend to drift the other way. We tend to become pretty selfish, at least I do. I'm probably a lot better at it than a lot of people on this earth. I mean, just I I can say that humbly and honestly. I tend to be pretty encouraging and loving. That's what I 
I just like to. I feel drawn to that. And yet I know I'm a million miles from where Jesus was and where Jesus would want me to be. So how about you? How about you? Where are you at in this context? Let me ask this question. Does anybody in the room, and I'm looking for a show of hands if the answer is yes, does anybody in the room feel like there's probably room for improvement in the context of how I love God and love other people? All right. I hope everybody's hand went up. You know, because it's not, it's not enough to just say, one of my life's goals, one of the top ten things in my life that I want to, you know, be fired up about and try to do well at is to love others. It's not what God wants. He doesn't want it to be one of your top ten. He wants it to be number one. Absolutely the number one thing in your life is how you love Him and how you love others. And that's what I want us to look at together today. Um, no matter what I say, what I do, what I believe, I am bankrupt without love. I love that paraphrase. Let me look at the whole chapter together with you. We're in the middle of a series um, about favorite chapters of God's Word. We've looked at a whole bunch of different wonderful chapters, and today we're going to look at a fairly short chapter, probably pretty familiar passage for a lot of people. Maybe you had it read or recited at your wedding. That's a very common thing. I don't know how many weddings I've done, but in most of them, 1 Corinthians 13 has been part of it. It is a wonderful chapter, but it is not just for that part of your life. Or just for those kind of people, you know, the young couple or whatever that's getting married. It's not just for those. It is for all of us. This is what God wants us to all be about. Here's how we read it in, in its entirety. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have left the gift of prophecy, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes... The imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but these, but the greatest of these is love. Love. You know, being a loving person, again, should not be just one of our top ten lists, one of our life's goals. It needs to be our primary aim in life. You know, the very next verse in the Bible, chapter 14, verse 1, depending on your translation, says something like this. The New Living Translation says, let love be your highest goal. The NIV says, Follow the way of love. And a number of other translations say pursue love. 
But love has to be the primary focus. It's not just a wedding thing. This is for all of us in all of life. Because again, life without love really is worthless. You know, when you think about the Ten Commandments, four of them are directed at how we love God. The other six are directed at how we love other people. Life is all about relationships, and life is all about love. Um, I've been with a lot of people when they either passed away or when they saw that end coming soon, and they asked for me to be there with them and talk to them. Lots of times that's happened, and I have yet to ever be beside somebody who didn't want to talk about um, loving those around them. That, that's all that seems to matter to them. Nobody's ever asked to, hey, one more time before I die, would you show me my diploma, you know, or my, or, or my portfolio, or a picture of my boat, you know. Nobody does that. Everybody, as they see the incoming, asks to be close to those that they love, or to talk about loving fa- their father in heaven, or their, their wife, and, or husband, or children, or so forth. It's always along that line. And what's crazy is that most of you, <clears throat> most of us, all agree with this. Most all of us say, yeah, I, I got that. I understand it. I'm good. I, is that enough? I think we can be done and let's sing some more. Because I already understand all this, right? And yet I would tell you that while we all intellectually get it, we all can say I understand it and In some respects, I suppose that might be true. The bottom line is that most of us don't do it enough. We do it some, but we don't do it as fully as what the Lord would want us to. You know, people constantly talk about making time for their children. It's hard to do. I've got to make time for my children or my spouse. Or I I, I need to carve out some time or I need to find time for the important people in my life. People use those phrases all the time, which illustrates and illuminates what I'm talking about. That our natural thing is to say, often as Christians, we talk about love being important, but the truth is, love is more like something we try to squeeze into our busy schedule when we have time for it, after we do the more important things, as as if there are more important things. You know, i got to get all these things done, make sure I pay the bills, and make sure I provide, and work on this, and work on that, and fret about this, and worry about that, and Once I get these things taken care of, then I'll try to squeeze some love in for those, some time for others into my schedule. That's where we often end up. But I would remind us again that it is relationships, not achievements, not the acquisition of stuff. Not that those things are bad necessarily, but it is not those things that ultimately matter. It is how much we love. Last week I gave you an A plus B equals C formula. When we were talking about Philippians 4, that, that uh, the, the C, the result that we all strive for is the peace of God which, which passes all understanding. And yet Scripture teaches that that's an A plus B equals C. The A plus B is the formula, the, um, uh, if we by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present our request to God, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, in a similar way, if we want to be loved, if we want to receive God's love, He makes it clear that the A plus B equals C, and that is that we are to love Him with all we've got and to love others. That's what He's looking for from us. In fact, if I were to put it in a mathematical format or whatever, I might do it like this, like, you know, think of a math formula like this. It's life minus love equals 
zero. Life minus love, it doesn't matter what else is in the formula. Life minus love is nada. There's nothing left. Life is all about relationships. And the key to relationships is that four-letter word, not the four-letter words that often come to our mind when we talk about four-letter words. It's that word, L-O-V-E. Although there's another one. Do you know how children, maybe I'm sure you've heard me or other pastors talk about this before, but you know how children spell the word love in a practical way? It's not about L-O-V-E. They, they want to put it into some kind of tangible way. Children tend to spell the word, if you were to think it through in a figurative sense, they spell it, spell it T-I-M-E. It is about time. You can say you love a child, your son or daughter or whoever else, but unless you carve out and spend some of your very important time with them, it doesn't matter what you say. It's about time. It's about the proof is in the pudding in that respect. And the Lord and all those around us are in a similar perspective, from a, coming from a similar perspective. We need to show that we love based on how we spend our time. Let's look at some of the specifics of this chapter. First of all, as the chapter begins, you know, you, you look at this, and it takes me back to when Rob, a few weeks ago, Rob Gleghorn preached about spiritual gifts. He did a great job, including speaking in tongues. He covered some of that and a number of things. But Paul, the apostle, or actually God through Paul here, says, teaches us that without love, you can speak in every tongue on the planet. You can have the gift of prophecy. You can have mountain-moving faith. I mean, think about that. Mountains could move because of your faith. But if you don't love people and love the Lord the way He talks about in Scripture, then it means nothing. In fact, you are a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. I don't know if I really should do this because it's really obnoxious. But um, I asked Joel if he could help me find a gong, and he said this is the best thing he had. But, I mean, imagine this. If I quoted the whole Bible and told you the coolest, most amazing lessons in the world, but did, but, but did that the whole time, that's how obnoxious I would be. Bear Paul, what's your favorite scripture? What, what was that? I mean, I mean, honestly, if you ask people questions and no matter how wonderful what is coming out of your mouth is, if you don't do it in a loving, godly way, as Scripture talks about, you're nothing more than this. And, and that's enough of that, isn't it? That is really obnoxious. I, I could get in the drum cage and show you what clanging cymbals sound like, too, because, you know, they're great when they're part of the mixture and a talented guys sitting there or lady but when somebody's just sitting there banging on them i think pretty soon everybody'd get up and walk out if i did that long enough and god's word tells us that you can have all the above in terms of great abilities and talents and knowledge but if you're de deficient in the context of love you are nothing more than just an obnoxious noisemaker we got to think about that it's one thing to hear it and go high ah, school that's a great passage for you know, my daughter's wedding. Now, we've got to think about that. It applies to you and me in every context of life. So I want to be real practical today and ask you to think about, as we continue looking at this, what are you going to do? It's one thing to just listen and go, yeah, thumbs up, good stuff. But it's another thing to walk out of here and be different. So I want you to think about that. How are we going to be different? Let me ask you this. Who likes sappy love songs? Anybody? You know, I think back to the 80s, you know, Air Supply or some of Journey's favorites or Chicago. I don't know. Pick, pick your favorite 80s band. And 
some of the sappy love songs. I enjoy them because they kind of move me. I mean, they, you know, even though they, they're not theologically virtually ever anything of significance, they're not even right about most things because they always make love out to just be a feeling. It's something we feel. Can you feel the love tonight? You know, as Elton John would sing. Well, love is not just a feeling. It might sometimes be that, but love is so much more than that. It is an action. It is a verb. It is something we do. And we can agree about it and shake our heads yes and go, that's good, and smile. But unless we do things differently than what we did before, we are not loving in a new way. We're just being the same as we were before. I want to encourage you to understand that that love needs to be something that we listen to passages like this and think about it, and then we grow, and we walk out of here, and we choose to be different. We treat somebody or a bunch of somebodies differently. Most of all, the Lord Himself. How do you express love to the Lord? Well, think about that and look for ways to love more. But in context with other people, um, verse 4 continues that love is patient, a tangible word. We can wrap our mind around that. I mean, being patient with, with somebody means enduring things that I didn't enjoy. Maybe I don't like this or that element of that person or the way they do this or that, whatever. If I'm patient with them, I endure, I persevere, I show them that, you know what, my love for you is strong enough that I'll endure that element just as I have to be, people have to be patient with me as well. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's a clear action. What does kindness look like? Well, it can take a lot of different forms, but it means doing something for somebody that, that expresses love in a tangible way, being kind to them. Love is not envious. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. A whole bunch of examples of things love is not. But I would encourage you, like with the last one there, love is not easily angered. Rather than focus on what love does not do, like, okay, I want, all right, God, help me to not be easily angered. That's a legitimate prayer. We can pray that way, think that way. That's not a bad thing to do. But it's better to say, what's the opposite of that? And, and, And say, Lord, help me to do that thing as opposed to not doing the bad thing. So not being easily angered would be what? Being patient, kind of the same thing having a long fuse, something along that line. So I often try to pray, Lord, help me to be that person. Help me to be slow to get angry. Help me to be kind. Help me to look for ways to build others up according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. That's Ephesians 4. Um, Love also keeps no record of wrongs. God does that for us. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. We need to do the same thing. Most of us, if you're like me, Kim and I, in our marriage, when things are done that, that we don't like, we tend to, the natural human thing is to keep at least a mental list, if not on paper even sometimes, but at least a mental list of the things that we're like, that's frustrating. All right, I'm going to remember that. So next time she does whatever, I, hey, remember when you, and yet God says through Paul, love keeps no record of wrongs, it tears the list up. Love also does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Again, those are all action words, but I love that word always. It's not like some of the time, you know. It's like love is also faithful. He doesn't use that word here, but love is also faithful. Like the husband who 
is faithful to his wife most of the time, only cheated on her once in a great while, that man is not faithful. Love does not do these things most of the time. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, does that mean if you mess up that you're, you've, you've blown it to the point that you might as well throw in the towel? No, but it means that's your goal. Your goal is not to most of the time do these things. Your goal is to say, Lord, help me be faithful and consistent in these areas. As a mature Christian, as opposed to a child, I love how Paul then talks about that in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. When my son Ethan, who was here all week, or most of the week, um, uh, on spring break from college, we had fun. We got to meet a new girlfriend and all that kind of stuff. But when he turned 21 in August of this last year, uh, Rob Gleghorn actually is the one I came up with this idea, and I kind of stole it from him, but I loved what Rob did for his son, so I did the same. I bought Ethan a sword. That's a kind of nice, fairly expensive sword made out of Damascus steel, which I could talk about the details of the strength of the metal and all that, but really, it was mostly about what I wrote or had engraved on, on the sheath here, where it says, dedicated to my son Ethan, a true man, and then based on 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, these are words that um, that King David said to his son Solomon as he was about to pass away and give the kingdom and the leadership of the nation of, of God's people over to his son Solomon. And he said to him, and I put on here to Ethan, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. First Kings 2.2. 2. Be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. So we talked a lot about that when I gave him this and um, looked up a lot of scriptures. We've memorized things as, young, as a family when he was young. And most of the key scriptures that I emphasized for him were about loving the Lord with all your heart, trusting the Lord with all your heart, and, and, and following things like what we read here in 1 Corinthians 13 about if you want to be a man, it's not about just being strong and tough. It's about learning to love the Lord with all you've got, and to love your neighbor, the lady someday that you'll marry, your children, your neighbors, your parents especially, and a variety of others. Love them with all you've got, with all you've got. If you want to be a man and put away childish things, as Paul talks about, it's about learning how to put these things in motions. Let me ask you this again, kind of referenced this earlier. Have you ever thought that you had something figured out like, you know, I, I pretty well got that understood. There's not a whole lot that a pastor or anybody could teach me about that context. I already pretty, un, pretty well understand it. Maybe you felt that way when you saw in the bulletin when you walked in, oh, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. I know that. I know that well. I've heard it a thousand times. I know that pretty well. Have you ever been there and then later something like just smacked you upside the head and you're like, oh my word, I didn't know near as much as I thought. You ever been there? I've done that many times. I thought I understood stuff. It's kind of like when I was 21, you know, this I gave to Ethan when he was 21. When I was 21, I thought my dad was pretty clueless. He didn't know a whole lot. And yet the older I have gotten, the smarter my dad has become. And I would guess a lot of us are in that way. And hopefully with that same level of humility, we will do that with 1 Corinthians 13 and all of God's Word, getting to a place where we recognize that, that even the things that we think we understand 
we probably don't. That's what I think Paul talks about as he finishes the chapter or comes close to the end where he says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In other words, I think I got this figured out. I think I know what love looks like. I think I know what it means to honor God and love God and love other people like that. I don't think the pastor needs to say a whole lot more. I pretty well understand it. But when Jesus comes back or, or we go home to meet him, I think it's going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't know near as much as I thought. Oh, dear God, forgive me for not loving as much as I should have. Forgive me for being so much more selfish than I thought I was. I thought I was pretty generous and kind and loving. Not at all. I think that's what he's getting at, and I think we need to, therefore, even now, in anticipation of that, say, oh, dear God, please help me to love the way you want me to love, to love you with all of my heart. What does that look like, Lord? Help me to understand that with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, differentiating those, th those four words. Lord, what does that look like? And help me to figure it out. And help me to live it out. Not only understand it, but live it. And the same with our neighbors and people around us. You know, lots of best-selling books talk about how to get the most out of life. You've seen those. Maybe you've read some of those. Lots of them. But God's plan is different. It's not about what you can get out of life. It's what you can give away in life, what you can add to life, what, not just what you take from it. God wants us to love in action. Let me show you just a couple of verses that talk about that. First, first John chapter 3 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Very similarly, Jesus' brother James wrote this, chapter 2 of his book. He said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead dead you know we're not saved by good works but we are saved for good works we need to be people that don't just think about these things but live them out everyone needs to be serving someone else somewhere for one thing because it fills the hole out there there are always needs out there whether it be this church or any other church or any other organization, there's always needs for volunteers. And we need to serve because it fills the hole out there, but we also need to serve because it fills the hole in here. The people that are the most joyful and filled with happiness and joy and, 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 and have smiles on their faces in life that I have seen, the people that are the furthest down that road are people who get this, who serve and love and, and work hard at it. They're hard working at it, not trying to build their own kingdom, but trying to build God's kingdom and love other people. I'm telling you, it is, I've seen that over and over. I've done ministry for 30 years, and I see that. People that are happy, people that are joyful, are people that live out what, what Jesus modeled for us and what he talked about in Mark 10, 45, when he said, For even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. People who get that and who become servants and love other people, 
focus on giving away rather than accumulating for themselves are happier people. It's counterintuitive, but that's the way it works. It's the way it works. Um, my wife and my sons read a lot, um, and uh, they give me grief sometimes because compared to them, I guess I'm illiterate. But I, 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 I kind of think I read a lot, but compared to them, I don't. But, um, but anyway, I, I try to read at least one. I read the Bible a lot, um, usually all the way through every year at least, and study it along the way. But I also try to read at least one other book a month. And a couple of months ago, I read a, a book, an autobiography, no, not an auto, a, a biography about Mother Teresa. And wow, wow, did it really hit me hard, just really impact me. Incredible book. A woman, I mean, I'm not a Catholic, of course, but a woman that I admire so much who loved the Lord, who became a servant, who lived out 1 Corinthians 13, who didn't just feel love for others, but who expressed it in action in incredible ways. All kinds of great things about her, but let me just share with you three quotes from her. She said this, holy living consists of doing God's work with a smile, working hard. I mean, she worked hard, but she did it with a smile because she wanted to honor the Lord. She also said, it's not about how much you do, but how much love you put into what you do that counts. Very similar to what we read earlier. It's, it's not just, anyway, it's how, how much we love. And then she said, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. You know, a lot of people don't serve, don't, don't become generous, don't give to other people in action because they think what they have to offer is, you know, small, insignificant, not going to make much of an impact on anybody. That is so not true. As Mother Teresa proved, you can do small things like just taking care of poor people or even dying people that will never have an ability to thank you. Nobody's ever going to know about it. And yet, if you do it in a great way, you can have eternal impacts on people's lives. It's not about what people see or know. It's about what God knows. And loving people in even what you would consider small ways can end up being powerful and great things. Mother Teresa, just like Jesus, loved people in action, not just with words. We need to seek to learn and grow in our walk with the Lord, but Jesus taught us that spiritual maturity is never an end in and of itself. I would just tell you this real bluntly, might step on some toes, but let me just say it anyway. The last thing some of you, some of us, some believers need, the last thing we need is to go to another Bible study. Some people need to quit worrying so much about studying the Bible and start focusing on doing the Bible. Learn to live it. Don't just learn it. James talks about that. Rather than just being a hearer of the Word, we need to be a doer of the Word. It does not matter how much you take in, how much you know, if you don't live it out. If you just accumulate the knowledge and understand it, but don't live it, it's worthless. You are nothing more than bang, 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 loud, obnoxious noise. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren said this, Impression without expression, leads to depression. In other words, study without service leads to stagnation. Kind of alliterating different words like that, but if we just take in and we don't give out, we are, we are of no good. Maybe you've seen this before. Two of the most mentioned bodies of water in Scripture, that's the Mediterranean Sea off to the left, if you can't read the little words there, big body of water, but 
There you see uh, two lakes connected, the Sea of Galilee to the north, the Dead Sea to the south, connected by the Jordan River. Um, these waters, these bodies of water have some things in common, but a lot of variances as well. But the one thing I want to draw your attention to, by the way, they're roughly eight or nine miles apart. I mean, no, wide. Uh, one, the Sea of Galilee is much shorter, I think about 13 miles long, whereas the Dead Sea is more like 30 miles long. Um, but they're both eight or nine miles wide, so just for understanding that. But they are very different in one key way, and that is that the Sea of Galilee toward the north that Jesus walked on, that He did a lot of miracles near or on or around. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. I mean, all kinds of aquatic life. It's an amazing and wonderful place, despite the fact that it is the lowest, in terms of elevation, the lowest freshwater body of water on the planet. The lowest freshwater body of water on the planet. It's still full of life because... It not only takes in, it also has an outflow. It gives, it, if you will, it serves. It, it, it uh, allows things to pass on through and gives to others. Whereas, in contrast, the Dead Sea is aptly named that because it does nothing but consume. It does nothing but take. It, you know, to use our analogy, it, it learns and learns and learns, but it never gives, it never serves, it just takes in, and therefore there is no life within that body of water. The two greatest commandments, according to Jesus, are all about love. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. And as we grow in Christ, we need to learn to be all about love as well. The mature follower of Jesus learns to start asking the question, who can I serve rather than who's going to serve me? A lot of people pick a church where they're going to attend based on whether or not it meets their needs. It's not all bad, but primarily we need to focus on whose needs can I meet. I want to close with this from the aforementioned book, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, a book I just finished reading with my boys last week and my life group as well on... Um, I hate it, but I need glasses. All right, so <clears throat> let me read this for you as we close, as the band comes out and gets ready to lead us. Um, all right. Rick Warren put it like this. At the end of your life on earth, you will stand before God, and he is going to evaluate how well you served others with your life. The Bible says in Romans 14, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. Think about the implications of that. One day, God will compare how much time and energy we spent on ourselves compared with how much we invested in others. At that point, all our excuses for self-centeredness will sound hollow. I was too busy. I had my own goals. I needed to first focus on having fun or preparing for retirement. To all excuses like this, God will respond, sorry, wrong answer. I created you, saved you, and called you and commanded you to live a life of service. What part of that did you not understand? We only fully are alive when we are helping others. Jesus put it like this, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. 
Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. This truth is so important that Jesus repeated it five times in the Gospels. Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 9, Luke 17. God wants us, wants you and I, to make a difference in His world. He wants to work through us. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. Not how long you live, but just simply how you live. If you're not involved in any service or ministry, what excuse have you been using? And I love this list. Look at this. He goes, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph had been abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all sorts of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That's quite a variety of misfits, and yet God used each of them in incredible ways because they became servants. He will use you too if you stop making excuses. As we close, as we sing, I'd like to ask you to stand with us, and I want you to think about this as we worship as we sing to the Lord, as we maybe, if any of you need to respond, maybe you want to pray with somebody, maybe you want to talk with somebody about working through an issue, about surrendering to the Lord for the first time, about what baptism is all about, whatever it is. But as we do, as we sing this song, let me, let me challenge you with this thought. If you listen to all of this and read 1 Corinthians 13, maybe you have it all memorized, and yet you walk out and tomorrow on Monday are no different than you were right here. Has it really meant anything? I would like to encourage all of us, and I'm talking to myself as well because I have lots of room for growth. I want all of us, including myself, to tomorrow on Monday, maybe this afternoon even, to love in a tangible, specific way, differently, in a greater way, in a deeper way, than I would have otherwise without reading this scripture. Because I don't want to just read it, listen to the word, and then not do it and be like a man who forgets what he looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, as James talks about. I want to do it. I want to be different. So I would like to encourage you to do this. Maybe you write it on a piece of paper. Maybe you just make a mental note. But you think of one, maybe it's more, but at least one way that you're going to love God more, that you're going to love him with more depth, with more sincerity, with more uh, consistency. And then the same thing with other people. Maybe it's your wife, your husband, your children, your neighbor. I don't know. But some other person. How can I love God more? Think of a specific way and how can I love other people more? Let me lead us in a quick prayer and we're going to then praise God and worship Him together. But Lord, as we sing this song, would you please help us each one to discern in our own hearts and minds. Speak to us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit and help us come to a place of understanding what is at least one thing that we can do to love you more and to love others more not to just think about it 
but to commit to it and to do it this afternoon or tomorrow, whatever that looks like. Lord, help us to do it, to love you and to love others more because we love you because you first loved us.